as I think about day camp this week, as I think about what they studied this week, you could probably not have married together two of the most important elements that make up Grace Point. When you think about reaching the nations and caring for families, you have come to the apex of what Grace Point Church has been about from its very inception. Having solid, family, caring, growing ministries, yet having a heart and an eye for the nations. And I think what a beautiful testimony it is this week to think about how they have narrowed it down. We've even taught our kids about it. A 1040 window, and what does that mean? That whole 10 degrees south and 40 degrees north of the equator. It's that West Africa, the East Asia element. It's the, it's the poorest places in the world, and it's also the most unreached places in the world. And we have we've helped them to understand the God story through the New Testament. In fact, we've had videos, we've had emails, we've had Facebook messages from families who talk about their kids coming home in this rap, chant, kind of something story from Scripture, which is just awesome because that's the very tool we use when we are in the bush of West Africa. We don't exactly rap it like that, but anyway, we tell the story from Genesis to Christ. And just tell the whole Bible right there in a short moment, just as our means of communicating the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But that's our ethos. That's who we are about the family and about the nations, about caring for the families, about reaching the nations. And I just want that mantra to just kind of be in your head. But let me ask you this about yourself. What's your ethos? Why do you exist? What is your, your central hub? What's your theme? What's driving you day in and day out? Think about that for a moment. We all have them. They, they shape us. They make us. They inform us. They, they, they help us to know what's right from wrong, or they, they help us determine what we think is right and wrong. They, they shape our values. They set our priorities. What is your ethos? For us, is again, caring for families, reaching the nations. How can we do those together in, in, in exquisite form and in, in, in excellence? But what's your ethos? Why are you living? Why are you breathing? Why are you here today? Now, we have been going through a series of messages. If you're first time with us today... And we're finishing it up today, going through uh, a series of messages, just kind of drawing from movies, all right? Now, not exactly what you get most of your messages from are the movies, but I think that there are movies that come out that have some gripping stories, that that have a storyline that make you think deeply, that make your soul think, that make you think spiritually even at at times. And I think if we can take, and they're not necessarily the the Will Ferrell, Adam Sandler movies, but they're, they're movies that are out there that do go deep, that do reach in, that do make you think and linger in. And there's a movie that I want to share today from, the movie Act of Valor. And this movie is, is not exactly, I don't think the acting is is all that great in the sense that they're professional actors and they all look a certain way and they all have their lines all beautifully scripted out. But I'll tell you this, it's real. It's performed and put together and, and acted out by, by people who are literally special forces in our, in our army. So you see it being acted out and the, the events that take place in this movie uh, are it's pretty amazing because 
it just kind of keeps you uh, on the edge of your seat. It makes you stand proud that you're an American. And you, it just it's one of those kind of awe-inspiring movies. And here we are, July 4th week. And so I thought, that's a perfect movie. When you think about the, the message behind that, the message goes, and I'm sorry if you haven't seen it, I'm going to ruin it because I'm going to show you the first scene and the last scene of the movie today, all right? So if you haven't seen it, it's your own fault, all right? Uh, but here, the, the, the scene of the movie... And we're going to start with, and the scene of the movie that we're going to end with is actually a, a, a letter that is being written from a dear friends, the kind of the key players in the movie are Dave and Rourke, and, and Dave is writing a letter to Rourke's son. Rourke never sees his son because he gives his life in the line of duty. He shows an act of valor as, as, as a U.S. Special Forces and in this act of valor, he, he has this letter that he has left for his family. And again, as again, we come to the July 4th, we come to this time of year when many of you have served our armed forces and, and we tip our hats to you and we are so thankful for you and, and, and just being mindful of that. But those who've given their life, those who've gone to, to, to give their life for something, something they believed in, there's, there's something deeper in that. That was an ethos that they had, that they were willing to put themselves out on the line. Well, in this movie, he's writing this letter. And I'm going to show you this 30-second clip. It's all it is. It's the opening 30 seconds, so if you blink, you'll miss it. But you'll begin to see this letter that's being formed as Dave writes it to Rourke's son. And from that point, we'll pick up. So watch this scene. Before my father died, he said the worst thing about growing old was that other men stopped seeing you as dangerous. I've always remembered that, how being dangerous was sacred, a badge of honor. You live your life by a code, an ethos. Every man does. It's your shoreline. It's what guides you home. And trust me, you're always trying to get home. Live your life by an ethos, by a code. It's your shoreline. It's what gets you home. Let me ask you a question again. What's your ethos? You may have never thought about it. Think about it. Think deeply about it. When I think about men and women and their acts of valor, yeah, think about the military and those who have given their lives in their line of duty, but not just them. It doesn't have to be that, just that alone. I think about moms or dads who have taken their careers and maybe put them on hold so that they could raise their children, so that they could pour into their children. They could be making a lot more money. They could be accumulating a lot more stuff. They could be, but instead they, they, they've taken it and they put it on hold. There's an ethos about their life that says, my children are more important than this. I think about missionaries. Some missionaries that were doing quite well in this world, in American developed world, and in, in the affluence of our American lifestyle, they've left it all. They've gone to places that you and I don't know of, and they've left the comforts, they've left family, they've, they've left everything that they know, and they've left it for a cause because they had an ethos. It was very, very high. In their life, they were living a life of duty. I think about those who start a cause for a cause. You fill in the blank. They see something that could happen, something that should happen, and it's not happening. And they rise up and they will, they will sacrifice for a cause. 
What's your ethos? How are you living your life? Some people's ethos centers around a duty. A duty, an obligation, a, a sense of what's right and what's honorable and what's true. They live for that. They'll sacrifice everything for the duty of what is honorable, what is good, and what is right. But then there are those who live their lives for delight. And really, I want to I pit those two against each other because I will say everyone will fit into those two categories. It's very generic. But I will say that there is a very large sum of people that live their life for delight and not for duty. And I think that if we're going to live with an act of valor, if we're going to live at a, at a higher ethos, if we're going to really go somewhere, it's going to be beyond delight. Because delight, well, delight is when we go f- for what's fun and what's stimulating and, and what's dynamic. That's what we're going for. What can bring me the greatest stimulation in my life and in my world? Delight, when it runs out, you just go find more delight. You don't like this job, you go find another job. You don't like this hobby, you go find another hobby. You don't like this relationship, you move on to another relationship. This toy gets old, you go get another toy. You start daydreaming about another. Daydreams turn to fantasies. Fantasies turn to flirtations. Flirtations turn to justification. Justification turns to action. It's a very subtle slip that we go through. But again, if you live your life, the ethos of, I am going to live for the gusto. I'm going to live for delight. I'm going to get all I can, as much as I can. If that's the life that we live, then that's the ethos that we are going to live by. What is your ethos? Now, I like living for delight. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of fun, a lot of instant gratification when you live for delight. But I want to live for duty. I want to find an ethos. I want to find something that's bigger than me. Something that goes further than me. Something that will last longer than me. I want to pour myself into something of value. I want that to be my ethos. You think about a Gandhi or Martin Luther King or or Mother Teresa. And you think about them. They had an ethos that was bigger. I don't care if you, you disagree. And I don't agree with Gandhi's theology. But here's a person, here's, here are people in this world, and these become our heroes. You'll not find, you'll not find heroes in those who lived hedonistic lifestyles. You find heroes in those who lived sacrificial lifestyles, those who were humble, those who were giving, those who lived under the radar, those who didn't live for, for, the, for the pomp. Duty or delight? How are you living your life? See, a life lived for duty does lead to delight, I must say. It leads to delight because it leads to a meaning. It gives you a meaning. But initially, you may have to make great and deep sacrifices. This, this delight comes later on. It, it, it comes whenever the, the mission is accomplished. It, it comes whenever the cause is, is completed. It comes whenever the 1040 window and all the last peoples of the earth are, are, are one. And you mark down Matthew 24, 14, because the end will come when all the nations will know Him. It, that's whenever there's this sense of, of delight. And when we see that accomplishment, everyone is, you know, at some point, well, I won't say everyone, but I'll say that many people, some of you in this room right here, 
have gone at times and looked for churches. We have people looking for churches that come in. We have every Sunday we have guests and, and we welcome them each one. People come for different reasons, hurts and pains and setbacks. Some people have moved into the area. Some people are just making a change or, or, or whatever. And they're looking for different things. Some churches are, are very attractional. It's like, come to us and we will, we will meet all of your needs. All of the services will be provided. We'll serve your worship up hot and fresh every Sunday. And people will start looking for churches. Uh, was I fed? Was the sermon good? Did the music sound? I like the band. I don't like the band. I want, I want an organ or I don't want an organ. I want a liturgy or I don't want liturgy. And they start looking for themselves. Was there a good children's program that I can put my kids in? Is that valuable? Yeah, it has some value. But if that's the end, that's not enough. You can find yourself living for delight even in your worship, even in your church going. We want to be a church of a missional flavor, where it's not just what what happens here, but it's what happens beyond here. I want to challenge you, if you're looking for a church home, don't just look for a church for what it will give you. Look for a church of what it will ask of you. A church isn't asking anything of you. Don't go there. Don't be a part of that. You want to be a part of a church that's going to draw out, that's going to call you to duty and not just living a life of delight. Because duty does lead to a life of delight, but it's at a different plane. It's on a different level. It's when you have a different perspective. But when you live a life of delight, and that's your ethos, it leads to regret. It leads to a life of vanity at the end of of the day. Because at the end of the day, you just feel like this is what it's all about. This is, this is what I'm living for, more and more and more and more stuff. And, and Solomon was one of those people who lived a life of great accomplishment for the first half of his life, on mission with God, duty, yes, but then he changes somewhere in there. And he goes to this delight-centered lifestyle. And he just spends the rest of his time. In the end of his life, he gets to the end of his life with great regret. And he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, it, It says this, I said to myself, this is out of the message, it says, I said to myself, let's go for it. Experiment with pleasure. Have a good time. But there was nothing to it. Nothing but smoke. What do I think of the fun-filled life? Insane. It's insane. My verdict for the pursuit of happiness? Who needs it? With the help of a bottle of wine and all the wisdom I could muster, I tried my level best to penetrate the uh, absurdity of life. I wanted to get a handle on anything useful we mortals might do during the years we spend on earth. This is what he lived for. He said with a bottle of wine and as much wisdom he could muster up, he did everything he could to get as much as he could. That's how he lived his life. Verse 11 is the verdict of that. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. Look at all the sweat and hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. If I live my life, in the all-out pursuit of more toys, shinier toys, new things, new relationships, new jobs, new careers, new, new, new. And that's all I live for, titles and positions and delight for myself. That's my ethos. I'm like spitting into the wind. 
But if I live my life for a higher calling, for a duty, for a purpose, for a mission, I will find deep down delight in my life. I want to ask the question, what you be finding in your Bibles, John chapter 15. We were in John 15 last week. We're going to pick up in the very last verse that we picked up last week. Verse 11 is where we ended. We're going to pick up in verse 12 and 13 and following. And I want us to think about what it means to live a life with valor, with honor, with duty. Because you can look at a lot. I think if we're going to do this, we've got to look at people, study people, become a student of people. You can look at the Gandhis and the Martin Luthers and the Mother Teresas, and those are contemporary, if you will, modern-day examples. But I want to challenge you to go deeper, to go back further, to go back to a person who literally shaped our calendar. Uh, go back to Jesus, if you will. I mean, a good answer for a Sunday, right? Let's study Jesus. And let's study the God-man, the man who, the God who put on flesh and dwelt among man. Let's study him. And you want to talk about a person who lived of duty and not delight, but he found delight in his duty? You're looking at a man in the life of Christ. And how did he live his life? As he goes on, and again, this is one of his farewell discourses with his, with his believers. He's preparing them. And last week we talked about what it meant to really be a follower of Christ and abiding in Him. And then he talks about even further on into this whole relationship with Him. And he talks about himself. He kind of gives, starts preparing them for his own crucifixion and how he lived out his life. Because if you want to talk about a person who lived with character, a person who lived... Uh, with, with great duty and calling in his life. You have to look at Christ. And you see his life because he, it says in Philippians chapter 2, it even talked about how he emptied himself. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself out. Did he empty his deity out? No, he was always God. Did he, empty, he emptied out that eternal being of, uh, uh, of existing and he put on flesh and he entered into time and he lived among us and he dealt with fatigue and he dealt with hunger and he dealt with all of those, those real life elements and he came and he emptied himself out of that eternal state and he entered into temporal time. He entered into this day and age. That is a person who had a calling that is a, that's God who had this calling, this duty, and He steps into this world. He could have sent angels. He could have just obliterated the world and started all over. But He had a calling and a duty. Now, if you were to ask yourself, how can I live a life of duty? What would that look like? What, would that, what kind of perspective would that, would that give me on my life? I think... What the ethos would I have? I think here's a couple of elements of that ethos. One is acts of valor are done in humility. They're done in humility. Living a life of duty with acts of valor might create some, some self-righteous pride. But I think whenever you do it in, in a God-honoring way, humility is what marks it. Humility. Now, humility is not easy to talk about. Because as sure as you start telling everybody how to be humble, 
you, people get the appearance that you know it all. Uh, or, or that who is he to talk about humility? Humility is a, probably one of the most uh, uh, slippery, if you will, uh, topics or virtues of, of the Christian faith. It's really hard to put your arms around. But it's interesting, even last year at the Global Leadership Summit that we hosted, there was one of the persons who spoke to the nation, this, this world of leaders, and he talked about humility in leadership. Humility in leadership sometimes see almost polar opposite. But I think Jesus models that. Here he is God, but he models humility. They're not polar opposite. They're actually joined together quite nicely. When you think about the U.S. Special Forces, many of these, if not all of our U.S. Special Forces, serve our, our nation. And they, they serve our nation without any sense of news clippings, any sense of recognition. You don't know who they are. I even had a West Point graduate tell me this past week as I asked him a few questions that goes to our church. I asked him about about what can, your, your take on the movie Active Valor. And, and, and that was the very first and the long email that he gave me. very first paragraph says, Most of the military people who serve in special forces serve without any recognition. Because that's a part of their calling. It's a part of their duty. I want to add to that. I've met some of the most amazing people in the world. And some of the most amazing people in the world were missionaries that I met that are serving in places that there's no glory there. There's no fame there. But they are the most humble people, the most giving people. And I just want to say this. If I'm going to live at a le- level of duty and, and honor and, and what's right, i got to realize that this is not some fame position. This is an act of humility. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, it says this of Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Great leaders are humble. Jesus Christ showed, exhibited, lived, modeled in every sense of the word, humility. When he could have called down angels, he didn't. When he, could have, when he could have turned stones into bread, he didn't. When he could have jumped off of the temple and had everybody and the angels swoop down and save him. When he could have commanded the forces of the world, he didn't. He remained in a humble posture in his life. When his disciples went away to get food and he was talking to an ugly, despised Samaritan woman. And they came back wondering why is Jesus talking to her? Why is Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman? And, and they said, it's time to eat. And Jesus said, my food. He said, my food in John four thirty four. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What was Jesus saying? I am living a life of duty. It's not about my own sensational fulfillments. It's not about my own. It's about the calling and the duty that God has placed on my life. Do you have a sense of ethos, of a high calling that you're living at? Humility is choosing to live, to be less in your own eyes. And so as a result, will be more in other people's eyes. 
a not-so-true story, but a funny story in the same. There's a story of four men that were on a, on a, on a little Cessna pl- plane that was, that was out in, in, in the Rocky Mountains, and, and the pilot was trying to navigate, and he all of a sudden lost engine power. And the plane was about to go down. And he said, guys, i got bad news for you. I said, our plane's about to go down. He said, the worst news of all is that I only have three parachutes. And since I'm the owner of the plane and I'm the owner of the parachutes, I'm taking the first parachute. And, and, on, on the, and so he, everybody agreed. And so he took a parachute and he jumps. Now still left on the plane was a, was a professor a brilliant professor, a pastor, and a backpacker, all right? And so, um, and so the, uh, the brilliant professor decided that, that uh, hey, I'm a brilliant mind. I have this great intellect, and, and, and I, need it. I need to be on this earth for, for the sake of humanity. So he just grabs, a, he just grabs a, a parachute, and he jumps. And so left on the plane now for this one a parachute is a, is a backpacker and, and, and a pastor, the pastor turns to the backpacker and he says this. He said, uh, he said I've lived a good life. I know where, where I, I'm going when I die. I said, you take the last backpack, or you take the last uh, parachute. And the backpacker said, don't worry about it. That brilliant professor grabbed my backpack on the way out. <laughs> Sometimes in our brilliancy, we lose it. Jesus emptied himself. Jesus humbled himself. It wasn't about Jesus. It was about serving other people. Verse 14 of chapter 15 um, says this, You are my friends. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what the master's doing, but I've called you friends. goes on to say, I chose you, you didn't choose me. I want you to hear in the voice of the almighty God of the universe, Jesus Christ. I want you to hear this. The humble identification with you to him and him to you is not that you are his subservient, beaten down toy, but you are his friend. You are his friend. That is an act of valor. That is a beautiful picture of humility. When you set aside all that he could have been, he set aside who he was in his own eyes and who he was in reality. Humility is the willingness to forego your status for the benefit of others. Are you willing to set aside and live at a higher standard for the benefit of others, even though you have the rights to so much more, even though you could buy so much more, even though you could go so many more places for yourself? Are you willing to forego that? That's when you're living in an ethos with a beautiful duty attached to it. Number two is the acts of valor are self-sacrificing. There's a self-sacrificing element that comes into play In the life of Jesus, it's very clear because it says in verse 13 of that same passage, it says, Greater love has no man, has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You got to realize, Jesus hasn't died yet. You and I know the rest of the story. 
Jesus will be crucified. He will suffer. He will die. He will do it for you and for me. He will do it for His disciples. But Jesus is just laying the foundation. If I'm going to live this way, you should live this way. That the, the greater love that has no, no man in this, that, it, that he'd be willing to lay down his life for his friends. And of course, we know the rest of what he said right after that. He calls his disciples friends. Are you, are you living a dutiful life? Are you living a life of valor, uh, of high respect, of an ethos of duty? Well, then you will live this self-sacrificing kind of way. How will you self-sacrifice? Well, Jesus goes on to give us a little bit of definition for our own life. He says this, this is uh, in verse 14. He says, you are my friends if you do. By the way, this is, calls him friends three times in this passage. You are my friends if you do what I've commanded you. So here's a, here's a challenge to you and me. How are you going to live your life? You can live it for that self-made life, that, that live for yourself, that, hey, I can do what I want to do because I'm an adult kind of mentality. Or you can live your life at a higher calling, higher ethos of duty, of rightness. And, and when you live at this higher calling, then you're going you're gonna to say, you know, it's not my will that's the most important thing. It's what is the will of my Father. My friends, you are my friends if you do what I command you to do. Jesus sacrificed, listen to this, Jesus sacrificed His life for us. Now listen to this. Are we willing to sacrifice our will, our plans, our ways for Him? He gave up His all for you and I. He models a life of duty a life of sacrifice. Are we willing to do the same? Think about it for a moment. God has a general will for all of us. God has a specific will for your life. The general will of God is that large overarching will of God. Love one another. Love your enemies. The Ten Commandments. Praying. Tithing. Whatever. I mean, you could just go through the Bible from one end to the other and find A hundred different general wills of God, okay, for all of our lives. You know, the Great Commission, for example. That's not something that we vote on at Grace Point Church. That is in Scripture that we are to go to the ends of the earth, okay? So that's not something that you just vote on, all right? Reaching our community is not something we vote on. We do that. That's why we exist. The general will of God. But then there's the specific will of God. It's specific to your life. It's specific to your time. It, it, it's who you are, where you are. It's, it's, it's where does God want you to carry out His great commission. It's who's the relationship are you, are, are, are you in. See, obedience to God's general will develops your character. Think about that. Obedience to the general will of God develops your character. If you live out the Ten Commandments, if you love your enemy, if, if, if you dwell together in, in harmony with one another, this is the general will of God that we're all supposed to do, all right? Your character will be strong. If you live out God's specific will, this is where your, your destiny is developed. He's, he's taking you somewhere. 
He's wanting you to be somewhere. That's the ethos of duty. Where is he calling you to go? Or, if you live for delight, you will just go from one delight to the next delight to the next delight. But if you live it at a higher ethos of duty and calling and honor in what's right, you will live humbly. Even though it's yours, you will willingly give it up. Self-sacrificing life, you will willingly give over. It's a part of the life of a higher calling. Acts of valor bestow just and righteous honor. Whenever you live at a different perspective, when you live at at a different ethos, the world will see you differently. Verse 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before, I, before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Now, you think, whoa, 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 Mike, you talk about honor. You talk about, well, what, where's the honor in this? It sounds like the world's going to hate me if I choose this path. Well, I'll tell you this. If you're going for popularity contest, go for the world of delight. Live your life for, for more toys and, 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 and brighter and shinier and things like that. And you'll have people flock around you. Live for titles and positions and certain subdivisions. Live that kind of lifestyle. And you'll have people flock to you. When you live for a duty, you live for an honor, when you live at a higher calling, the world may hate you. Because you'll be living a life that Christ has called you to live. And it will not always be easy. But here is a life principle for you. And I know this is the first time you've heard it. But it may be, hopefully, maybe it's the first time you live it. And that is this. Live your life for an audience of one. Who are you living your life for? Yourself? Your family? Your friends? your position, your fame, your recognition, how the world sees you. Live your life for the one who chose you, for the one who came for you, for the one who died for you. That is a life of duty that Jesus lived for us. The best thing we could do is live a life of duty for Him. Live out His will for our life. What is that? What will it cost me? Am I willing to do that? Am I willing to pay the price? Am I willing to give up delight on the front end to live duty today so that I can have delight on the back end of knowing I'm living out His calling for my life? Our family is getting ready to go on a plane this afternoon and head to New York State. Tomorrow, mid-morning, we'll be given 90 seconds to say goodbye to Caleb before he's whisked off (laughs) in the control of West Point Military Academy. You can pray for us tomorrow morning when we have our 90 seconds, all right, to say goodbye. Um, and I know some of you all have already served in the military and know what those, those days are like. And You know, 
from my first experience of sending my son, that's it's hard. This is this is this is something, and I think it's a lot. Hard. In fact, I know it's a lot harder. Lori's not in here. I'll talk about her. It's a lot harder for her, and it has been harder for her because you always have the what ifs. Because you know, you, you go through college. You spend your time at West Point, then you serve in the military and active service, and there's always that that chance. There's always that chance of deployment. There's always that chance of of losing your son. And, of course, he knows that. We know that. But even in these last days of him packing things up and getting ready to go, He's had these ebb and flows of fear and anxiety, and I'll constantly ask him, are you second-guessing? He said, no. I know this is what God wants me to do. And so I, I, ta- I tip my hat to my own boy just to say, I'm glad you're living a life of duty, even if it will cost you. Because... There is so much greater joy in living out a dutiful life than living out a life of self-seeking, hedonistic kind of fulfillment. Micah 6.8 says it like this, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you, to do what is right. To love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let that be a verse that just pours over you all week. To do what is right, that's duty. To love mercy, to give of yourself, to walk humbly with our God. You know, that was written hundreds of years before Jesus' life. But he modeled that. Thousands of years after Jesus' life, are you modeling it? And are your children modeling it from watching you live your life? The last scene of the movie is the last two minutes. In this last two minutes, you know, I already made it clear that, that, uh, that Dave is writing a letter to Rourke's son whom he never sees because he gives his life in, this, in, in the movie as, as an act of valor. And um, he's writing this letter to, to his son, again, that he's never seen. But I want you to just hear this letter. Here, I don't agree with every all the poem that's written in here, but, but just hear the letter, and you hear this. Your dad lived a life of duty. You live a life of duty also. Watch this scene. On behalf of the President of the United States and a grateful nation, I present you this flag in recognition of your husband's heroic achievements. You have my deepest condolences. One more flag to present. This one I think you know. On every deployment, Rourke carried this with him. Again, my deepest condolences.
Lieutenant Ango. Before he died, your father asked me to give you this poem by Tecumseh. I told him I'd fold it into a paper airplane. And in a way, I guess that's what I'm doing. Selling it from him to you. Live your life that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Trouble no one about his religion. Respect others and their views and demand that they respect yours. Love your life. Perfect your life. Beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and of service to your people. When your time comes to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with fear of death, so that when their time comes, they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. of duty, of honor in what is right, what is good, what the Lord requires of you? Are you living your life for the greater mission of God? Whether it's raising up children, whether it's impacting by pouring yourself into other people's lives, that's giving of your time, your talents, your treasures, it's your life marked Marked, significantly marked by duty. Or if an audit of your life, of your time and your talents and your treasures were taken, would it be that of delight? Living for self. Father God, I pray that we look at the cross We reflect on the cross and we reflect on the life of our Savior Jesus. He was more than a man. He was more than a physician. He was more than a a great teacher. He was God. He came for us. He died for us. He emptied Himself for us. When His disciples offered Him food, He said, My food is to do the will of My Father and to finish His work. 
He told us to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, if it's about your kingdom, I pray that we are about it. I pray that Lord will find that higher calling and we will pursue it. And we'll find great delight, great satisfaction in it. Lord, if it's even in the simplicity of serving at a day camp and loving on children or going on mission around the world, I pray that we will live our life humbling, full of mercy, and walking with you. Lord, we pray this. We ask that, Lord, you will bless the offering. We ask that you will bless each person as we go from here, that you'll be honored in our lives, through our lives. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.